Thanks, Ryan. We good? Hi. <clears throat> I've considered myself a Christian pretty much my whole life since a very young age and invited Jesus into my heart quite young, around seven or eight years old. The only thing was, although I've always believed and prayed, it never felt quite right or all there, and many things just made no sense at all. I experienced a fair bit of childhood trauma, and for better or worse, my mom and mental illness have played a profound role in my life. My mom gave me God, church, a belief system, and she taught me to pray. For that, I'm grateful. One of my very first memories of church was being five years old on Halloween day, a Sunday, waiting for my mom to come home and finish my costume. Invited by a friend, she had gone to check out a new church that day. That day, she came home and announced that we would never, as a family, have anything to do with Halloween ever again, and she burned my ghost costume in the fireplace. Halloween would forevermore be an evil, satanic celebration for devil worshippers and all things dark and demonic. <laughs> I would never trick-or-treat again, never attend school on Halloween day, never attend any kind of party or event that had anything to do with Halloween. That was my first church, and perhaps my first internal conflict with the church. I've probably attended at least 20 to 30 different churches in my lifetime, many of them being quite fundamentalist with charismatic, Pentecostal, and evangelical leanings. With my mom back in the day, we did a lot of church hopping. We would stay for a while in a church. My mom would ult always ultimately decide she knew better than anyone else, and off we would go to the next church. Church governed a fair chunk of our lives. We believed in certain things. There were rules to follow, and there were consequences, whereby God could allow or let bad things happen in order to teach us a lesson that would hopefully lead us back to him in the light. I was taught that God did not want to allow bad things to happen to us, but that when we strayed, Satan and his archangels have the God-given power and permission to punish us. Ryan talked about the doctrine of providence after Keith Kovacs testimony two weeks ago. I was raised on a version of the doctrine of providence, that God has a perfect and special plan for all of us, but with conditions. Every time you sin or stray, God has to rewrite his plan, thereby every plan being a little less perfect and more watered down than the first. I got to the point where it just all seemed so fruitless due to my own and many failings. I began to believe that God's plan for me must be so weakened, how could there possibly be anything good or anything of substance left to it? So what was the point of even trying? In my humble opinion, and depending on what best suited the situation, the Bible and Jesus' words were so often either very literally taken, misconstrued, or taken out of context. You get the idea. My opinions on whatever I might believe did not count or matter, and for a very long time were not even allowed to be my own. Religious dogma was used against me more times than I can even count. I grew up into my 20s and 30s still believing in something, still praying sometimes, not attending church much, and going through an array of emotions, mostly hating religion, church, being both sad and angry, being confused, conflicted, untrusting, feeling guilty, and really just not making any time in my life for any of it. I got married to a wonderful man, Patrick, and we had two beautiful kids in Alberta. 
I started to think a lot more about what I wanted for them and what I could give them and what kind of people I hope they grow up to be as they navigate this crazy world we live in. I started to question how I was going to do that if I wasn't prepared to be the model and if I could not even manage to sort certain things out for myself. Not long after, we moved to the Comox Valley three and a half years ago, and because this beautiful place is to be our final resting spot, it was and still is important to lay down roots, make connections, and find community. I, I decided to start looking for a church, not my family's church, not the church it was expected I go to, and not a church and people that made me cringe. <laughs> I was on the hunt for my grown-up. I'm a mum now. I have strong beliefs and opinions of my own church. My maternal grandma was a member of West Vancouver United Church for many years. I used to go with her sometimes and was a semi-member of the youth group there as a teenager. My mother-in-law actually attended this church with my husband and his siblings years ago and even taught Sunday school here. So up the front stairs of St. George's we came to give it a go. We ended up not leaving, and now we've been attending fairly regularly for the last three years. This church has made me feel like a new baby Christian. I feel in many senses like I know nothing. I feel newly awakened and inspired as I learn something new or take away a new context every time I come here. I've slowly begun to wrap my head around a slightly amended version of God and Jesus, the Bible, Satan, heaven, and hell. It's a version that finally makes sense and that my personal beliefs and leanings align and are compatible with. It's a version of love, hope, and peace. It's a version that feeds my soul instead of leaving it feeling empty. Perhaps it comes as no surprise to many of you, but it's a bit of an ongoing revelation to me. I'm excited to believe that God is a living God and still speaking to us today that the Bible is a living Bible. The scriptures, the Old and New Testament are only the foundational story that everything else is built on. It's the vessel that puts us in contact with God and not necessarily sacred in of itself, but sacred in the sense that the Spirit speaks to us through it. That although God doesn't change, our vantage point is allowed to change through time, place, person, and culture. That there really is no statement of faith that's the final word, but that our faith can and needs to be stated afresh and evolves with every generation. That we tell the same story generation by generation, community by community, but the story always needs to re be retold to connect to different times and cultures and communities with different needs. This I can and I do embrace wholeheartedly. I recently borrowed a book from Ryan called Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, The Scandalous Truth of the Very Good News by Brian Zand. It struck a chord for me in its overarching message that the summit of divine revelation for sinners is not God is wrath, but God is love, and that we are not sinners in the hands of an angry God, we are forgiven sinners in the hands of a loving God. Shocking, I know. <laughs> My past experiences have given me a fairly keen sense of when things are real and authentic and when they are fake, forced, and rooted in dogma. St. George's has to date always seemed authentic, real, and not judgmental, so we keep coming back. I've met a host of lovely, genuine people here, some who I now call friends. It's honestly the first time I've ever felt like I even wanted to try to be part of a church community. I struggle to trust, and so being up here sharing with you is a very big deal to me. On Easter Sunday two years ago, 
St. George's gave me the opportunity to be properly baptized alongside my children, Clara and Nicholas. I've watched in wonder the ever-growing children's ministry, and I'm so thankful for it. I've attended several of the small groups and studies offered over the years, and I've been grateful to meet people, share, learn, and grow. Life is very busy, and I don't always feel as if I have given much back or that I necessarily even have much to give, but here we are. God is most definitely here, and my soul feels fed here. I'm still sorting it out on this journey, but this church and this community are part of the puzzle in helping me to do that. We've all heard the expression that it takes a village to raise a child. I hope and welcome the people of this church community to be part of my village. I give thanks to God for being the living, loving God, for creating and loving us as we are, and for a generosity of interpretation in the Bible, spiritual experience, and openness to God's work in different cultures and religions, which includes a spirit of inclusion of people who may not traditionally fit. Thank you. Well, on to the sermon, I guess. Why do, why, do we, why do we choose these people with good stories to tell? I mean, they make me look bad. And uh, luckily, I've already had my annual review, so, you know, anything past this point is just gravy. Let us pray. O oh God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love. In Jesus' name, amen. So you may know today's passage from the most recent marriage ceremony you've attended. Or perhaps you saw the episode of NBC's 30 Rock where Tina Fey awkwardly reads, love is patient, love is kind, at her ex-boyfriend's wedding. The passage is certainly a wedding favorite, and for good reason. It's heaped with love, and that's something that spouses should probably have for each other. And yet, this passage isn't just for the ears of soon-to-be newlyweds. That's because today's passage is at the heart of the Christian faith. Today's passage is relevant to Nikki's testimony that she offered, her experience and experiences like hers, especially those growing up in a faith, with a faith that may have been well-intended, but in practice was an extremely heavy burden rather than something joyful and liberating. First of all, in this text, the Apostle Paul reminds us that humility is an absolute necessity when it comes to faith, to spirituality of any kind. Humility is the beginning point for any authentic faith. We are, after all, not God. I'd hate to break it to you. <laughs> we are not God, but creatures, no matter how gifted and special we may be. 
Though we may be only lower than angels, we still aren't God. We're like children when it comes to knowledge. We're fragile, finite beings with a limited perspective, a viewpoint that's always tinged with a little more, with more than a little self-interest. One day, by God's grace, we'll all be grown up and know it all. But for now, we see through a mirror dimly, as Paul says, or as I prefer in the old King James Version, it says, through a glass darkly. Everything we see is only in part because we're human. So even though we continue to have a high view of the Bible and church teachings, even so, we know that even the good, the beautiful, and the true things we know about this life must be tempered, they must be balanced with a sense of humility. That even when we're probably right, or even when we're undoubtedly right, we could very well be wrong, simply for the fact that we aren't God. Once again, I'd hate to break it to you. If you could take anything away from church, though, it's that you aren't God, I guess. Certitude spawns arrogance, Paul says, while true faith is nurtured by humility, a sense that we don't know at all, and that is good news, and it's freeing. Because, as Paul says, humility leads us to the nature of faith itself. He says we can speak in tongues of angels, we can understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have faith to move mountains, we can give away all of our possessions, we can support the right causes, whether on the left or right, we can do all the social justice in the world, and we can be the holiest people around, but without love, we ain't nothing. We ain't nothing without love. And that's because, as the letter to 1 John says, God is love in God's very being. Self-giving, sacrificial love is the, at the very source of all there is. Jesus' great commandment, after all, is to love God with everything we've got and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And it's not just the neighbors we like or the neighbors we agree with. He goes even so far as to teach the love of sinners, of enemies, and of persecutors. It's a love that goes deep and wide. So if beliefs of any variety lead us to fear, lead us to judgment, self-righteousness, or hatred in any way, then there's something wrong with the path that we're on. There's a kink in the divine hose, you could say, because none of that stuff is of God. Christ is patient. Christ is kind. Christ does not insist on his own way, nor is he irritable or resentful, but rejoices in the truth. So if our faith doesn't look like Jesus on the ground in everyday life, then there's some kind of spiritual pollution getting in upstream. It's time for reassessment. And as you heard from Nikki, she had many experiences with the need for re 
assessment to find the truth about God and who we're supposed to be. To love more like Christ rather than the need to be right is the beginning and the end of all authentic faith. It's the beginning and the end. And in the end, I think that Paul's words are what Nikki was pointing us to when she spoke about what she sees as compelling about this community of faith. But as much as I would like to take the credit, I really would, I really, really would. And as much as we as a community would like to take the credit that we're nice people, which we might be on a good day, or that we're open-minded people, which we might be good, we might be too, also on a good day. What's compelling, though, I think, is that at our best, we know that we don't have all the answers. I mean, we have some answers. I mean, why am I even up here talking to you? Unless we had something worth saying. But it's not about knowing everything. It's about knowing something. And that something is actually a someone. It's about betting our lives on the truth that in Jesus Christ, we have been given a glimpse of the truth. We have been shown the heart that beats at the center of all things. And from beginning to end, that is the love we see poured out on the cross. So you could say the most compelling thing about us isn't actually us. Again, I'd hate to break it to you. I'd hate to break it to me. It's that though we may see through a glass darkly, we believe something is crystal clear. That the destiny, that the purpose of your life and mine is to be loved by and learn to love like our creator, like the source of all life. That's why Nikki's here. It's why I'm here. And I'm willing to bet that it's why you're here too. It's why this place, this community exists in the first place. Simply to bear witness with our lives and as a community to the God of love with everything that we do and all that we are. Simply because God is love, everything else, everything else on earth, everything in this sanctuary, your body and my body, will one day fade away. But love, Paul says, love lasts forever. It's why we're here. And I hope that if you haven't joined us yet on this beautiful pilgrimage into the heart of God, that today you might just consider it. You might take a walk by this font and come to know the fact that you indeed 
are loved, that God is love, and that with God, nothing can separate us, and that love lasts forever. And that's good news. Thanks be to God. Amen.